Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Erin McCoy, here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. Thank you, Erin. And today we're talking with a man who put local craft beer on the map in deep southern West Virginia. And he's become the anchor of a small business district in downtown Princeton, West Virginia. I'm talking about Matt Barnett and his sophisticated hound brewing company. Matt, welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads. Hey, Charles. Hey, Aaron. How you doing? Good. Good to see you. Thanks for being with us today. Good to see you. Matt, probably like a lot of our listeners, I haven't actually had the pleasure of visiting your brewery yet. Can you give me a nutshell description of your tap room and what you're trying to offer in downtown Princeton? Um, well, our tap room is, um, our, the, front of, the front of the house is the tap room, of course. We offer a, a wide menu on top of the beer that we do sell. Um, 31 different beers, our breweries in the back. Uh, so we distribute out the back door. Um, it's local. Uh, people love to come down and hang out and have a good time. Well, I see the big news recently at the brewery is the new canning line that you've purchased. Uh, tell us about that and what's all involved. Yeah, so we, um, back when COVID started, we kind of tested the waters with cannon. We had a small canning line then. Um, it took us about two hours to do 10 cases, and that's two people working it. Uh, so we tested the waters. Um, the waters were, were, were good, so we decided to get a, a bigger canning machine. So we just purchased uh, from Cask a canning machine that does 200 cases every four hours. Um, so we'll, we're actually down at the brewery today uh, getting everything plumbed in and, and electric running to it. So we'll be running those cans through pretty soon. we got 5,500 empty cans ready to go through it. Um, and those, they've pretty much already been sold to local restaurant or local uh, grocery stores and convenience stores. Yeah, so that means that you're going to have to produce maybe more beer to feed that canning line, right? I mean, is that, is that something in the plans too? Do you think you're going to be up in your uh, production? Yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, from the start, we, we knew that once the canning started that, um, one, we wouldn't be selling so many kegs because really in reality, only restaurants and bars are pretty much the, the, the majority of who buys kegs from you and everybody buys can, cans. So we knew that we'd cut down on our keg sales. Um, but yeah, we would be uh, more production of beer on top of that. Yep. Well, with this big new investment that you're making, it's pretty clear that you're betting on a lot of sales growth going forward. Right. Um, what is it that you gives you the confidence in the future of West Virginia and the beer market here? Well, I mean, I think I've told people in the past that, you know, you know craft beer has been around for a while. It's still, it, it's kind of new to the state, especially down my way where Budweiser is king. Um, but it's, it's growing and we see a want for this craft beer. And uh, like I said, we've tested the markets with the cans and, and the business that we've done over COVID and over the past three years that we've been down there, uh, the market's really good down here and we have a lot of support locally. Um, so we decided to take that next step and, and get the cans out there to more people. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, like you and Weathered Ground are like the two breweries that are fairly close together down there in a, in a sense, I guess. Uh, and, uh, you know, like you said, there, maybe historically there hasn't been as much penetration of all the craft beers in that in that market but it's good to hear that you're seeing something real positive that's causing you to want to invest in down there right yeah um, like i said we have you know princeton's a great area i've lived here for 43 years i was born and raised here 
And, you know, I've always wanted, if I, I told people when I started this, that if I started a tap room, it was going to be where I was from. Uh, there, there's been a need for it and a want for it for here for a while. And then when they started uh, revitalizing the downtown area, that was our opportunity. Um, and, you know, just before that, we, I, I sold kegs for about five years out of a building in my backyard to local restaurants. And it just progressed up and we've had nothing but, but great success ever since. And you're humbled every, every night you're down there seeing the people come in. Well, Matt, what would you say um, are the most important things to succeeding in the local beer market today? Well, for one, you got to know your customer. You got to know your customer base. Um, down here in Southern West Virginia, you know, <clears throat> craft beer is, is kind of a, a niche market. Where it's, it's, it's a niche, niche market in a lot of areas, but down here especially. Um, people don't want to go so far outside the box. So you really have to know what to sell those people and where, where to stay. Um, you know, you have to know, your, your, you have to know your, your demographic, you have to know your customer market. And, you know, you just, you just have to, it's a love you have to have. And you just have to, you push that product and you push, you know, what you have in it. And people respond to that and they become a part of it. And that's what, you know, that's what we have. We have a slogan at the tap room, um, homegrown. And um, basically, you know, it means that we, we, put it, we put all of ourselves into it and we get local as much as we can. And um, we're just really invested in the product and, and all of our regulars that come down are, they feel part of the company, not just as a customer. So that's what we want. That's good. Um, can you tell me what percent of your business is taproom sales versus your sales for distribution? Um, well, for the last couple of months, our taproom has been 100% of our sales. Pretty much. Um, right now, we have we have our uh, we have two distributors, and we have one of them is local. They do about two counties: Mercer County and Summers County. Really, the other one is the entire state of West Virginia. Um, so we re we've really been with the second distributor that is the entire state. We've been with them all three years. We've been in business, um, and we're not seeing that growth that we should be seeing from them. They're not. You know, we're having a little issue with the with that. Um, we want to be more north. We want to be in the Clarksburg area, Huntington area, Morgantown area, those craft beer areas. And and we're having trouble right now because we feel, you know, sometimes you butt head with people. And um, we've been butting heads for a while with that second distributor. We're trying to get our product out there. We know the product sells down here, especially. And we have people, you know, businesses every weekend call a tap room wanting to know how they can get our beer. And these are people from Charleston area, Kanawha uh, County, Huntington. And all we can tell is that you have to contact our distributors. So that's where we're at right now. It's, it's a really troublesome time with, with one distributor. But the second distributor, the first distributor that I mentioned, Mercer County, Summers County, they're great. They do, they do their job. You know, they push the product down here and, and it gets out. Um, so, you know, we're hoping with these cans that, we, that, that northern push will, will happen because um, it's easier to sell cans. So that's what we're looking for. Well, Matt, I think as, as part of uh, getting our listeners and viewers to know about you, it'd be good for you to take us back a few years and talk about how you got started in commercial brewing. I mean, were you an avid home brewer or how did you get your interest in brewing? Well, you know, like everybody else, we go to craft beer festivals. We enjoy the, uh, the, the atmosphere of the craft beer festival. And you ask, you tell yourself, you know, this would be a really cool job to have. Um, when you're on that side of it, you don't realize how much work's involved on the other side, but yeah, we enjoy it every day. Um, but you know, so I started out as a home brewer. I just got these basic recipes 
And, you know, you basically, they send you everything you want or you need, and they say pretty, pretty much just add water and here's your beer. Um, I did that for a couple of years. And then I started reading about hops and, and yeast strands and, and started making my own um, recipes up. And then all, all I ever wanted to do was go to an Oktoberfest. And primarily, if you're familiar with Branwell's Oktoberfest, um, that was like one of the greatest Oktoberfests in the state. So I, I went legal because you have to have your licenses to go to um, a craft beer festival. And the year I went legal, that was the, the year before was the last year they had Branwell. So that year was the first year they had the Pipe Stem Oktoberfest. And I went there with three beers, 1863 Pale Ale, Racer 8 American Stout, and Tail Chaser Blonde. And I was the first craft brewer to go out to, to tap out of, out of beer that day. And at that point, um, I, I, was, I was approached by, two, by the distributor. And you know, they said, you need to get your stuff out there. So I built a building in the back of my house and bought a small three and a half barrel system. And uh, the building had a small walk-in cooler that I could house about 60 kegs in. And um, I started that, doing that just to local restaurants for about five years. I was happy with that. And you know, then this building came up in 2018 when um, Princeton was starting to renovate Mercer Street and they, yeah. wanted, us, they wanted us down there. So um, we decided to take a chance. And we, we gutted the building from front to back, put in a brewery in the back side of it, tap room in the front, and we were going on three years down there. So I think uh, you're a true kind of pull yourself up by the bootstrap kind of brewery. You know, you didn't start with a lot of money. You didn't have a big right. investment. Like you said, you started in a garage just yep. to have no tap room. And right. to me, there's a lot of people in West Virginia, and especially in smaller towns around this state that need need to be thinking about doing that same thing. You could be an inspiration yeah. and a kind of a guide to, to folks, you know, in other places in our area or our state that might want to do that. Were there, just curious, were there other brewers in the state that you'd like to, could, that helped you or gave you guidance along the way? Um, when I first started, um, I was talking to brewers outside of the state, but the more I got involved, I started talking to uh, Sam Mozzie at uh, Big Timber, if you're, if you're familiar with that name. Um, and then Sam Fond up at Weatherground, he's been, you know, me, we're, he's, he's, he's a, he's a really great guy. He's helped us out many times. Um, when we need help. When we first opened, we were missing some equipment to fill kegs off the bright tank. And I called him up. He's like, yeah, man, come up here and get what you need. Well, no problem. So he's helped us out and we've, and then you have Alex from, uh, uh Greenbrier Valley. He's a great guy. Uh, you know, we trade back and forth. If he needs some grain, I'll get some hops. If he needs hops, I'll get some grain from him. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really cool that, you know, we all see ourselves in this together and uh, we work together instead of, you know, trying to, we don't, we don't see each other as competition. Mm -hmm. We see each other, everybody's in it together. So, yeah. So what were some of the hardest things you had to overcome just personally there, building a brewery and building, an, you know, a new products in, in, an, in an industry like this that you weren't, you, know, you didn't have a background in, in particular? Right, yeah, I taught myself everything I know about brewing. Um, and like I said, I did a lot of reading. Um, as far as building the tap room goes, we we are we do not have any investors at all. We're a hundred percent out of pocket. And we we take pride in that. But of course, at, with that, you also move a little bit slower than you would if you had the investors there. Um, you know, you have to pay things off and buy things when you can buy them. So we're it's it's more of a slower process and and uh, but you know we 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 do what we can and we do all we can and we push it as far hard as we can push it and 
you know, we, we do really well at what we do, I think. Our, our system, it's, um, we, we do a different type of brewing than other brewers in the state. We do infusion brewing, where other breweries do sparge or fly sparge brewing. Um, and we, and, you know, our opinion is that with infusion brewing, you get as much of the flavor and sugars off the grain that you can possibly get. And uh, our system's a one-off system that was built just for us. Nobody else in the state has it. We have no push buttons in our brewery. Everything is manual as it can be. The only automated thing we have is our glycol system that keeps the fermenters cold. And so, what's the uh, company that uh, built your system? Who is that? Uh, we got it from a company out of California. And right off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you the name. Okay. Uh, That's I, all right. Yeah. I mean, most of us wouldn't know those names anyway. I just want Right. Yeah. Um, well, I want to say that I've been to your tap room and I tell you, right. that is a beautiful place. And you did a great job on building that out. And I understand from you, I remember you did most all that work yourself or with family and other friends. Well, it, the, uh, the work was done by a local um, construction company. But the idea is that the brewery is there. Everything inside the brewery is from we have lights that are made from kegs. We have kegs that are wrapped around the corners of walls. Uh, everything you see in the brewery was our, was my idea and they just put it to life you know when i said hey i want this i want that and that's what we did um, it really it, it just seemed to me like it turned out to be one of the nicest places in uh in the area to have a beer down in princeton yeah you know when we first seen the building you know you walk in and you see those brick walls a building like that is begging for a brewery or some type of bar with that exposed brick on the inside um and we have a lot of our, our art and our, you know, all of our art is from local artists. Our logo is a big metal sign on the, on the brick wall. It's done by a local artist. Our tap heads are done by local artists. So we, we keep things as local as possible. And at some point after you opened, you also added that outdoor beer garden in an empty lot next door, which was a great place to have an empty lot, you know, it was right by the brewery. Tell us about right. your experience with the beer garden and outdoor serving and all. Yeah, when we first opened it, before we put the fence up along the street there, um, several people thought that that was just a like a pull-in, like a drive, like a parking lot. And we'd see cars just come in on the patio and just park. And we had to go out there and tell them that that was a, no, that was a patio until we got the fence up. But yeah, the patio has been uh, very well received by everybody that comes down. The murals on the outside were painted by a local artist, Patch Whiskey, who's originally from Princeton. Um, yeah, people love it. They love coming down there in the summertime and sitting and hanging out. Uh, you know, we even have people... That, that would that would brave the elements if we put heaters out there to go out there and sit uh, during the fall. So and we have live music out. We we before COVID hit, we'd have live music on the patio every Saturday during the summer. Um, so yeah, it's it's a good time. That sure sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, what styles for you personally, Matt? Do you prefer, and has that changed for you over time as you've been brewing? When I first started getting into craft beer, uh, stouts were the big thing. Um, everybody was doing stouts. Stouts was what you wanted to drink. Stout was craft beer. And you kind of seen that move from stouts to IPAs. And now it's moving from IPAs to sours. Um, but so from the start, I like dark beer. I like stouts. I like porters, uh, dark browns. Um, I've grown accustomed to IPAs because, you know, I when, when I first brewed my first IPA. I was like, you know, in order for me to brew this, I've got to know what it tastes like. I've got to enjoy drinking it to, to really get the essence of it. Um, so I started drinking a lot of IPAs and, and building recipes based on pretty much that, uh, drinking IPAs to get that, that right taste. 
And we do, we do, a, so, you know, one of our beers that we do now is a black IPA, Queen Anne's Revenge. And just to throw a little something in there, it, 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 uh, we had a little friendly competition with Greenburn Valley. Um, Alex and the boys came down with Mothman and we had a true blind tasting and uh, Queen Anne's beat Mothman very significantly. <laughs> and every, every time we see him, every, yeah, every time we see him, it's, it was a friendly competition. Every time we see him, we, you know, we have to razz him a little bit about it, but yeah, it's a good time. Well, back to your beer. Let's get into your current beer lineup. It, it seems like you've got around four core style beers that you almost always have. Um, tell me what style they are and give me a little bit of a description of each one. See, actually, that you know, we, we started out with five beers. Um, that's all we had was five. So within three years, we went from five to 31. So we have 31 different beers that we do at the tap room. Um, our, 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 we do a rotation of them, um, probably eight to 10 are ones that don't change. Okay. And th 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 that's our core now, probably about 10. Um, and then that, okay, so our core beers, our race rates, our American stout, that's our flagship. Um, it's brewed with American grains and American hops. So it's a little bit more hoppier than like a Guinness or an Irish stout based because um, the, acidity, the acidity level in the soil in the United States is, is more acidy than the UK. Um, named after a dog, my, my dog. I adopted a Greyhound uh, before I opened the brewery and that's where everything comes from really. Uh, he raced under number eight when he raced. He was racing Greyhound. So that's where the name came from, Racer 8 American Stout. So we have that one. And then the next beer is 1863 Pell Ale, kind of our homage to uh, when West Virginia became a state. Um, Tail Chasers are blonde. Um, Mahaffey's Irish Red is based off a true Irish red that we had a little bit extra to and the name comes my, my mother's family came from Northern Ireland in the late 1800s so that's where the Mahaffey's the name comes from um rye bellion is our version of an English brown that we do with rye grain and honey uh and then that that's probably our biggest core oh El Jefe I'm sorry I forgot about El Jefe it's a true Mexican lager that we brew with corn instead of grain it's the house beer at a uh, local Mexican restaurant down here um, that we brewed for them that we also keep in the tap room now. Um, so then we do Crooked Hat. It's our 9% 100 IBU IPA. And then we have Bumble Blossom that is an American wheat that we put 10 pounds of honey and 30 pounds of peaches in 50 gallon batches. Um, West Virginia, uh, West by God, Virginia Common. It's actually a Virginia Common that we've added our own spin on. So we call it West by God, Virginia Common. Um, the Queen Anne's Revenge is the black IPA, 8.9%. Uh, Rumpel Stoutskin, that's our Irish stout. And Rumpel Stoutskin and Racerade is basically the same beer. But like I said before, the, the grains in Racerade are all American. It's the same grains, but they're UK in Rumpel Stoutskin. So it's a totally different taste. The hops are the same, but you know different countries have different tastes because of the soil. Um, we have uh, um, HBR, that's a brand new one that we just did. And it's more for uh, people that come into the tap room and want, want to know what we have, like Bud Light or Miller or Coors. So we brewed that for them. We have um, the Up Pale Ale, which is a hazy pale ale that we brewed for one of the bands that come down and play out of Beckley. We have Black, we have Bloom Black Lager. Um, we have uh, Backwoods Bourbon Stout. So it's racer eight. We put it in a bourbon barrel with vanilla beans for four months. 
So it goes out, it goes in at 5%, it comes out at 12.7. Um, we have one that we call Mint Life Crisis that we do with 18 pounds of Girl Scout Thin Mints. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's that's getting seasonal right now for yeah, the Girl yeah. Scouts. So. Yeah, and uh, we do we do one called, uh, we have a Connie K Pilsner that we brew with um, orange guava and passion fruit. Uh, we have a new one that we just came out with about a year or two ago called the Mango Lorian. It's a mango pilsner. Um, like yeah, we, Star we, Wars we enjoy, action there. Yeah, we enjoy naming our beers. We have an espresso stout that we call Java the Hut. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, I know you've fooled around a little bit with local ingredients in the past. Anything, any one of these uh, or anyone you want to mention that about lo anything local? Uh, well, you know, it's kind of hard where we're at getting local grain and local hops. Um, most of our local stuff right now is our honey. We get honey from right across the street, uh, Blue Ridge Bee Company. So Bumble Blossom, the American weed that I was talking about, has um, 10 pounds of orange blossom honey in it that comes from right across the street. He has the bees. The bees produce the honey, and he sells the honey. Um, we put a little bit of his honey in our rye billion and our Mahaffey. So, yeah, the honey especially comes from local. Um, we, we've We've... We've got a couple of new things coming out that we're also messing with um, locally. Appalachian Coffee House, um, doing coffee stout, coffee blondes, stuff like that. Hey, uh, how many of these beers that you just gone over in the course of as you go through the rotations, how many do you expect will be in the cans that you'll be out putting out in the market in the future? Okay, so our canning, we're starting out with our main, our first three out are going to be um, Tell Chaser, 1863, and Rob Bellion. Okay, so then after those three go out, we're going to add another three, and those three will be Racer 8, Crooked Hat, and uh, Queen Anne's Revenge. So that'll give us six, and then we're going to hold off until next year where we're going to release our, uh, our true German Marzen, Heidi's Marzen. We're going to put that in cans, and we'll probably add one more to that. So we're going to have eight. By this time next year, we'll have eight different styles out. Yeah, well, that, that brings me to, to a good question. I mean, looking ahead, you've always got to be planning your head, especially when you want to grow with the market. What do you see as styles that are ascending, that are on their way up? I mean, things that you're going to make to try to meet a demand that maybe is growing, but not so big today, or maybe just, you know, what something you want to do different. What's coming up that might be like that? Well, we're going to, we're going to start. We've, we've got, we've done one hazy IPA and one hazy pale ale. Um, we're going to do a couple more of those because the hazies are, are getting pretty popular. The juicies, um, another, you know, sours are getting big. Um, we haven't tried any sours yet. We, we, we've talked about trying one, experimenting with one. Um, you know, these, 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 uh, these companies that are doing beer with um, hemp, mm -hmm. hemp seeds. And uh, so we've talked about that. Um, you know, just, you know, just different types of co coffee blonde, something new. I don't know if you've ever heard of a coffee blonde. It's it's, it's pretty much a blonde ale, but it's a, it tastes exactly like a coffee stout, the way they the way they brew it. So we're going to try one of those. Um, so yeah, we just we just try. You know, we get back in the back, and once we brew stuff that we know will sell and that we've got on rotation, we we try to come up with something new. And sometimes, like for example, with Mint Life Crisis, we were sitting back there one day and trying to think of something to brew, and we got a call from a regular, and his daughter was selling Girl Scout cookies, and Asked if we wanted to buy any. I was like, hey, you know what? I was like, bring me 18 pounds of Girl Scout Thin Mints. Well, I think that's a good example of a brewer being uh, 
you know, innovative and looking for a, a niche that might not be already taken by, you know, a thousand other breweries. And so you're in Southern West Virginia and it, like you kind of mentioned earlier, a little different market maybe from where we are in Charleston, Huntington region up here. Uh, but are you all the time looking for ideas or have you come up with some things that you think, you know, you need to emphasize that maybe some other brewers in other parts of the state don't feel are as important? Um, I mean, you know, I think we, we use certain hops a lot more than I think other brewers do. Uh, we like that hop. Um, again, you know, honey, honey, honey is a big thing that we use in several of our beers. Um, and, you know, the thing with honey is depending on how you want to use it, you won't even taste it in the beer. Um, if you use it in, for example, you know, if you use it at, at burnout or if you use it in the boil, it's going to burn off all the sweetness and remain, you know, you're going to, all you're going to do is up your alcohol content. Uh, just different ways you can use the honey in, in the beers with, you know, that's like I said, that's what we're, we're uh, experimenting with now, so. And I, I want to ask something back to your cans and you were talking about the cans you're expecting to have and hope to have six out. Are you going to use um, a particular local artist for your can art or? Yeah, uh, our, our, our graphic designer that makes all of our labels, he's a fraternity brother of mine and he actually works for the state of West Virginia as a graphic designer in Charleston. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Do you want to give a plug for his name, Matt? I mean, yeah, Mike, Mike Daniels. Okay. Um, he's actually the inspiration for our IPA cricket hat. And I won't go into details of how, <laughs> why, why we call him cricket hat, but um, yeah. So he's actually, he's actually, his face is actually the logo for cricket hat. <laughs> All right. Um, have you, you know, we were talking about all of this growth that you've got coming up. Have you received any assistance in your growth from local business development groups? Um, you know, when, when COVID hit and, you know, people were giving out um, the grants and the money, we, we had, you know, we tried to get some of that money, but we were never able to. Um, it was always closed down by the time we got it. So, yeah, we've been operating as normal, what, during, you know, with, with you know, 50% capacity, all the guidelines are in, in place. We're, we've been operating as normal through all this. But no outside assistance as far as loans and things like that. Um, how many people are employed right now at Sophisticated Hound? Uh, right now we have myself and my right hand, which is my, my manager, my assistant brewer, Shane Goodman. Um, we have, let's see, two in our kitchen and two waitresses right now. Mm, that's um, good. Yeah, and we, we at one point in time, we had nine, um, counting myself. And, you know, people have, um, they move, they get other jobs. So it dwindles down a little bit. COVID hits. We don't need as many people. Um, like I said, they get, other, they, they move away and get another job. So with this increased canning and all of this ramped up production, do you expect you're going to pick up some additional employees? Oh yeah. I mean, with, with the ones that we have, uh, you know, we're only, our taproom's only open Thursday through Saturday. And so me and Shane, of course, are down there every day of the week, some days, 14 hours a day brewing. Um, so he's really the only main employee that I have as far as, you know, every day of the week. And, uh, you know, we've, we've already talked to some of the employees and, and that are there maybe two days of the week or one day a week. And they're more than happy to come in and start canning, help us can to get those more hours. I don't know if we'll be hiring anybody new, just those people that are there will be having more hours during the week. So back to your hours, you're, you're open. You said Thursday through Saturday. Are they pretty mm -hmm. set? You open at the same time and close at the yeah, same time? Yeah, we have a yeah, we open it thir Thursday right now. We're open from five to ten. Um, we just started that a couple months ago, 
Um, it's going decently well. Uh, Friday, we're 11 to 10, and Saturday, we're 11 to 10. Um, so hopefully, you know, Thursday keeps staying stable. Our goal is to make Thursday 11 to 10 once spring or summer gets here, you know. Um, but yeah, Friday and Saturday are great days downtown. Um, very busy. Uh, you know, before COVID, we had the live music. It's a, it's a good place to be, man. <laughs> Matt, you're also doing a little food business, I understand. So uh, talk a little bit about your food menu. Yeah, we have a pretty decent menu. I mean, if you've ever been down to the tap room, you, you probably ask yourself, you don't, you wouldn't see how we did what we do or do what we do out of, out of our little kit. Our kitchen is probably eight by 10 at the most. I'd say 10 by 10. Um, we have about seven or eight different penny sandwiches that we do. We have about seven or eight different pizzas that we do. We just introduced burgers. So we have five different burgers that we do. Appetizers, salads, uh, chartreuse boards for the wine drinkers, soups. You know, we, we, have, we run the gamut all, all across the board. We used to do desserts. We shut the desserts off uh, when COVID hit. We haven't brought the desserts back yet. But besides that, we've got our full menu out there. Well, you know, we're in the start of another legislative session in West Virginia. And a lot of times uh, that brings to mind state laws that maybe are helpful or some that aren't so helpful. Is there any kind of uh, provisions that you'd like to see changed that you think would help small brewers like yourself? Um, you know, there, there's one, you know, we have a question all the time that people come down, they ask, they want to buy a growler. And, you know, so they buy the growler and then they start to open the growler on premise and we have to stop them and they don't understand why. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just a rule. And to us, you know, if you can go to a winery and buy four or five bottles of wine and drink them on the premise, wine's anywhere from 10 to 14% alcohol in one bottle. And, well, you know, why can't, why can't, you know, I, if I wanted to, I could, I could sell pictures of my beer. So why, you know, growling a pitcher in our mind is the same thing, theoretically. Um, so why, why wouldn't you be able to, you know, open the growler on premise and drink it? If you can buy a pitcher, it's the same thing. Yeah, that's a good point, you know, because, uh, I mean, I think there are brewers that sell their canned or bottled product yeah. at their brew pubs and they can well, open that, that up. Yeah, for example, you know, you go to a brewery, that's a good point. You go to a brewery that sells crowlers. 32 ounce crowlers, and you can buy two of them. That's 64 ounces, and you can drink them right there in the tap room. A growler is 64 ounces, so I don't understand, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, some of the other things that people have talked about are things like the, you know, curbside delivery and, uh, you know, or other kinds of home delivery. Is that something that you guys have played with or considered? Well, when, when COVID hit and our, our last day of business, uh, was March 17th and um, you know we were closed down for about three weeks before we did anything uh, we had to dump you know we dumped about five thousand dollars of the product on the drain uh, you know and that's that's minute compared to some breweries so I'm thankful for that yeah. but um, you know before we started doing anything, we before we started doing anything it was three weeks and then the governor allowed us to do front door service uh, just alcohol at that point and so we did front door service and in the first month we did 2,000 cans at the front door um, so that kind of opened our eyes to canning, of course, and then we did food out the front door and then he gave us 50% outside. So we just went right along with what the guidelines were. And, you know, the thing is we, we see other places, um, that do the delivery for home. And if we had the employees, we would probably do that. 
but you know, on Fridays and Saturdays, the employees that are working, they've got to be in that tap room, man. They're, it, it gets too busy if they're not. So, Well, I know you mentioned a couple of uh, the guys like uh, Alex Durand and Sam Fonda and uh, Sam Mosey, who've helped you along the way at the, some of the different breweries. But I'm just kind of curious, too. You get out to beer festivals where you certainly try a lot of other West Virginia beers, and you probably do that even more often than a beer festival. But uh, I just are there other beers or West Virginia breweries you think are, are doing a good job out here? Ones that you especially enjoy? Not that I think they're all doing a good job, but just maybe some yeah. that you enjoy. Um, you know, being, being down here where we're at so far south, I don't get to try as many northern northern beers as I would like to. Um, just recently, I uh, and he's been, they've been around for you know a little while, but uh, it was probably maybe the end of October was the first time I ever tried Free Folk out of Fayetteville. And, you know, the stuff he had, I thought was really good. Um, and we've, we've, we've worked with him a little bit and, and did some stuff with him. Um, he, has, he has like different nights where he'll do like stouts uh, or IPAs. And we've had beer up there at his, his tap room when he's done stout nights or IPA nights. And then, you know, of course, uh, you know, Big Timber Porter, it's a great beer. Um, Big Timber IPA was a, was a great IPA when it came out and it's just been, a, uh, you know, powerhouse. Uh, Greenbrier Valley, I love Mothman when it came out. So um, that's why we enjoyed it even more when we had that little friendly competition I was telling you about. Their Devil Ants is great. Uh, Sam up at Weatherground, he does stuff. You know, Sam's, Sam's originally from Mississippi and he did a lot of his brewing in, in North Carolina, Nashville. So when he came up here, he was being from where he was, he was kind of ahead of the game, um, in my opinion, than other brewers in the state. So the stuff he was doing was so far outside the box. It was just hard to wrap the brain around what he was, the way he was making beer. I mean, you know, I don't know if you talked to him or, or if he told you a story. Um, I hope I'm not telling anything wrong, but he, he did an IPA that he literally went onto his property and cut limbs out of spruce trees and then put those limbs in hot water and let the water boil, ran it through a filter and made an IPA out of it. And had, yeah, like a, yeah. had almost like a spearmint yeah. taste to the IPA. So yes, I know he likes the to use local ingredients or yeah. different different kinds of ingredients too. But he's a big supporter of local farmers that bring him fruits and things that he incorporates yeah. into his beers. Yeah, mm. yeah, and then, you know he he um, he did that that paw paw wheat. Uh, I don't know if you ever got to try that, and that's something that we're also looking at. Um, you know, trying to stay local, local fruits. We've got a we've got a a, a meadery that we just partnered up with, um, Old World Libations. They're right outside of Union, so we carry their product. Um, they're going to start carrying our product when they get their building finished up. And they have a you know they have peaches and, and grapes down there, so we're starting to mess with with some of their stuff. Yeah, fantastic get, to hear that. Yeah. yeah, I haven't had the chance to get over to Old World Libations. I know they're maybe a couple years old now, but or at least they've had a license. But I haven't had any of their products. But that's good to hear. They're they're growing and that they're doing some things we need to, to learn about them. Yeah, we've had them, we've had them down at the tap room for probably a little over a month. We carry about four different styles they make. They do a peach mead and they do a triple berry. So we carry those. And I'll tell you from day one, that stuff's been flying off the shelves, man. Those the wine drinkers, they love, they love that stuff. So yeah, the quality then is up there where it needs to be. That's good. Yeah. To hear. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I met you, I think, first time at a beer festival in West Virginia. What are some of your favorite beer festivals you get to in West Virginia? And I know we had a lot of them canceled this past year, but we're looking right. forward, you know, to the future. We're going to have them. They'll be back. Yeah. Like, well, you know, like I said at the beginning, to me, 
you know, just because of where we're from, where we're at down here, that the Bramwell Oktoberfest, if you ever went to it, it was the perfect location, the perfect scenery, just everything about it was perfect for, for a beer fest. Um, and then, uh, of course, um, Rails and Ales in Huntington, that's a big one, if you've ever been to that one. Um, Foam with the Dome was a good one. Um, trying to think some of them I went to. Um, that's, that's probably the top three. Uh, and then, you know, we had the one at Pipestem for a while, for a couple of years. But yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, Rails and Ales and Bramwell and Foam with the Dome. Those I think, didn't you have a local festival right in Bluefield? I mean, close to you? Well, the thing about Bluefield is uh, Bluefield's kind of like Bristol. So depending on where you're standing in Bluefield, it's either Virginia or West Virginia. So the spot where they have that beer festival, it's actually in Virginia. Oh, so, you know, I remember that. I've yeah. forgotten that. So yeah, you couldn't sell there. Uh, we couldn't. No. Oh. They, they needed to move it over about 20 feet and then we could come. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Aaron, anything else? I think we've covered some pretty good topics this evening. Definitely wish you guys some luck going forward with your expansion and your new canning line. It's, it's exciting. Hopefully we'll get it here in Charleston and Charles and I can check it out. Right. Yeah. We, you know, just real quick, we've, we've been at a couple places in Charleston. Um, bricks, bricks and barrels. barrels. I've yeah, seen you bricks and barrels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we've been at uh, Sam's Uptown a little bit. Uh, is it Sam's? Is his name uh, on the Sam's Uptown? Yeah. yeah. Sam's Uptown. Okay, yeah. Um, and then we were at, we were at the one, uh, we've been at Fruth. Uh, pharmacy um and then that restaurant that's on top of the mountain up there you know what i'm talking about it used to be called look out look out yeah we're hoping that these cans uh, you know we, we we talk to our distributor like i said we talk to our distributor often and we, we voice our opinions and our concerns and our problems so we're hoping that these cans will really you know be what it needed to be done to get to get that push up there so so Matt, remind me again, the date or remind everybody the date you expect or the time period you expect these cans will be out in distribution and, and we may start to look for them, you know, in places like Charleston Huntington Market. Uh, well, you know, we're hoping, like I said, we were down there today, plumbing it up and running some electrical work to it. We still gotta do that a little bit more tomorrow. Uh, you gotta get all the kinks worked out of the system, make sure things running right. We're hoping by the latest March 1st, hopefully. That's what our goal is. Um, we've done ourselves the rest of this month to get everything ironed out. So hopefully it'll be before March 1st, but hopefully it will not be later than March 1st. That's what we're hoping on. All right. Well, again, we've had Matt Barnett from the Sophisticated Hound Brewery in or Brewing Company in Princeton, West Virginia, as our guest today. And Matt, thanks so much for joining us on West Virginia Beer Roads. Hey, thank you. Uh, Charles, Aaron, you guys come down and see me when, when you're down this part of the state. I'll buy you. I'll buy you a beer. <laughs> we'll do that. Take, yeah, we'll take you up on that one. All right, guys. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.